Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see everybody. Hope you're having an enjoyable festival and able to rejoice in it. From the beginning of human existence, God's Word has been at all times throughout all ages somewhere among men. For much of human history, however, it has been inaccessible or not readily available to large numbers of people, often the majority of people. Yet when God's Word has been made available to men, most to whom it has been available have rejected it. This tells us that the problems with human beings in relation to God and His Word have less to do with the availability of God's Word than the human tendency to reject it when it is revealed. But according to Jesus Christ, we are to be judged by the Word of God. John 12, verse 47, Jesus said, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So, we are to be judged by God's word. Now, when Jesus said that he was not judging people, he meant at that particular time because that was not the purpose for which he came at that time. He will come as judge later. But the standard by which he will judge mankind and by which he is judging us is his word. In today's sermon, I want to discuss how we shall give account. How we shall give account. Because every human being is accountable to God in the final analysis. And we shall give account. And it's very important that we understand that we will give account. This generation, particularly in the Western world, has less excuse than most because the knowledge of God's law has been widely accessible in our age. The Bible is said to be the most widely distributed book in the world. We find the following from the website GuinnessWorldRecords.com. GuinnessWorldRecords.com states, quote, although it is impossible to obtain exact figures, there is little doubt that the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. A survey by the Bible Society concluded that around 2.5 billion copies were printed between 1815 and 1975, but more recent estimates put the number at more than 5 billion. By the end of 1995, the whole Bible had been translated into 349 languages. 2,123 languages have at least one book of the Bible in that language. End quote. Now, other sources give different figures about how many Bibles have been printed and circulated, and it's likely that no human being apart from Jesus Christ himself knows exactly how many Bibles have been printed and distributed or are available currently in today's world. 
but it appears to certainly be in the billions of copies that are accessible to people in the world today. The Bible has been, as was mentioned here, translated into virtually all major languages. It is read in many thousands of churches as the book from whence they supposedly get their doctrines and beliefs. Virtually every person in the United States, Britain, and other Western countries either has a Bible of his own or has ready access to one. Yet most people have not really studied the Bible carefully to see what it says. According to a 1995 survey by the American Bible Society, 92% of those Americans polled said that they own a Bible. But according to the news article reporting on the survey, quote, the scriptures are not necessarily the source many turn to for advice about their lives, end quote. An official of the society is quoted as saying, many people had Bibles in their home, but many people don't actually read them. Many have been taught in our educational system, through the media, and even in many churches, that the Bible is irrelevant and out of date. There has been a deliberate and subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, campaign to discredit and destroy the Bible's authority by a number of influential philosophers, educators, and scholars, including many so-called theologians, especially during the past 200 years. Students, many churchgoers, and the public at large have been told that the Bible is composed of myths and imaginary tales. So it shouldn't be surprising that many reject the Bible as a serious guide to life. Others have been taught false religious teachings by ministers claiming to teach God's Word. False doctrines have blinded their minds to the true teachings of the Bible. Few have simply studied the Bible itself and chosen to believe it rather than its detractors or those who have misrepresented its teachings. Many ignore the Bible, even if they are to one extent or another aware of its teachings, because it doesn't fit in with the generally accepted behavior of those with whom they associate or identify with. Those who would dare to actually obey God in certain aspects of their behavior are very often likely to be rejected, ridiculed, or persecuted. But God is merciful and God judges us to an extent on the basis of what we know or what we could have known if we were willing to learn. But honestly, how many people in the world today can truthfully say that they had no way of knowing God's will, especially since the Bible itself is so readily available. How many can really honestly say that they had never heard that the Bible teaches that you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and so forth? What do we do with God's Word when we know what it says? We shall all be judged. We shall all give account. And we will especially be required to account for the knowledge that God has made available to us. That means the more we know, 
or the more we have had the opportunity to know that we should have known, the greater is our accountability to God. When anyone sins by transgressing God's commandments, whether he knows he is sinning or not, he is accountable. But if he did not know or could not know under the circumstances he was in that he was sinning, he is less accountable than one who actually knows. We read in Leviticus 4 and verse 27, Leviticus 4 and verse 27, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. End quote. Now notice what this says here. It says that a person who sins is guilty even if he disobeys the commandment unintentionally or unknowingly. And hence, a sacrifice of atonement for sin is required. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 47, Luke 12, verse 47, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet commended, committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. When you or I come to know what God requires of us, we are automatically faced with a decision. Like the vast majority, we can reject the truth that we are faced with, which is the typical human reaction. Or we can accept it intellectually but not obey. Or we can accept it and act on it. Whichever choice we make, we are responsible for that choice. And we will be held to account for the choice that we make. In Romans 14, verse 11, Romans 14, verse 11, we read, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. Notice that each person is responsible and accountable for his own behavior. Not someone else's behavior, but for his own behavior. And he is responsible for his behavior. It's not someone else who is going to be blamed for your behavior. But you yourself, I myself, we are responsible for our own conduct. And we will give account for our conduct. And we will give account not to mere men, but to God. And you and I will be judged according to God's word, whether we accept it or reject it, or whether we obey it 
or disobey. Jesus said to some Pharisees, quote, this is from John 9, verse 41, John 9, verse 41. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. In other words, they would not have been accountable to the same degree without the knowledge that they had. And they had plenty of knowledge. The knowledge wasn't the problem. It was their unwillingness to comply with the things that God's Word teaches. But even without the knowledge of the law, sin has its destructive effects. You don't have to know something is wrong for it to have destructive effects on you and others. God told Abraham, that his descendants would inherit the land of promise. But prior to that, they would be strangers on the earth and afflicted by other peoples, and it turned out to be for hundreds of years. But in Genesis 15, verse 16, Genesis 15, and verse 16, God said to Abraham, in the fourth generation, they, that is his descendants, shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were a Gentile people who dwelt in the area of what was later called Palestine, the land that God had promised to Abraham's descendants. Now, how much of God's law did the Amorites understand? We don't really know, but we do know that God's judgment came upon them eventually because of their iniquity. And God intended to displace them with the children of Israel because of their iniquity, because of their lawlessness and sins. Paul wrote in Romans 2 and verse 12, Romans 2 and verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. James wrote in James 4 and verse 17, James 4 and verse 17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Some find the truth and reject it because they are afraid of what people may think. During the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, some among the rulers of the, of the Jews believed in him, but they did not confess him for fear of being put out of the synagogue. As we read in John 12, John 12, verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed, him, uh, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Often people fail to act on God's word because they seek the praise of men more than of God. Some play politics in the church or in some other venue seeking honor from other men. Many have defiled their own conscience, choosing to follow apostate leaders because they were seeking honor from men but it is ultimately to God, not men, 
that we shall give account. Jesus said to some of his detractors among the religious leaders of his day, he said in John 5 verse 44, John, John 5 verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another but do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Some may accept the truth academically. Or they agree with it from an intellectual standpoint, but they are not willing to come to grips with the truth as it affects them personally. They're not ready to begin changing their old habits. They're not willing to give up themselves and their lives and live their lives according to God's instructions, even though they may agree with certain aspects of the truth. Some have, over the years, come into the church of God but have not remained faithful because they were willing to hear God's word up to a point, but not willing to obey their old habits, their old selves. They loved more than they loved God. Some, having come into the church or perhaps having grown up in the church and yet unwilling to submit to God, have convinced themselves that they weren't really called as a matter of fact, anyone who hears the gospel, or for that matter, who can read the Bible, is called. The only question is, is he or she going to heed the call and act on it? Matthew 22 and verse 1, Matthew 22 and verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Now notice how the calling occurs. The servants are sent out to issue the call. It is the message that they bring that is the calling. The message of the Bible. The message of God's word. They sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. But it goes on to say they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Some people assume that if you're called, you automatically turn to God and obey God. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Notice here the response of those who were called. Although they were called, they were exposed to the message of the gospel, God's word, they were not willing to respond in a positive way to the invitation. The calling had been given, but they were not willing to respond properly to it. Now, is it many or only a few, as some claim, who are called? Well, Jesus answers that question in Matthew 22 and verse 14. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, you might ask, well, why are few chosen? The reason few are chosen is because only a few people respond to God's calling in a positive way. 
Anyone who responds to God's calling by humbling himself before God and seeking God can be among those chosen. It's up to the individual how he responds as to whether he is chosen or not. But very few are willing to do that. This was true of the Israelites and Jews, especially of old. That is, most of them, because the entirety of the nation of Israel and Judah were among those called of God. And for that matter, the same is true of the modern peoples of Israel. That is, the, the Israelite nations. Israel has been and is called of God. In fact, Israel is referred to as the called of God. And Isaiah 65 and verse 2, we read, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. Notice what God says to Israel. He said, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. In verse 12, we go on to read what God says about this. Isaiah 65, verse 12, Therefore I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because, now notice why, why they're going to be subjected to the tribulation, or to tribulation, to being conquered by their enemies. Notice why. It says, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight. In Isaiah 66, verse 4, Isaiah 66 and verse 4, God says, So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. God called, no one answered. They were unwilling to hear God's message. Jeremiah 7 and verse 11. Jeremiah 7 and verse 11, God speaks to Israel again. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, says God, I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name and which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Now some might ask, but doesn't the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, not many wise men according to the flesh, 
not many mighty, not many noble are called. No, the Bible does not say that. There is no word for called in the Greek original of the statement, not many wise, etc., are called. There's no word for called there in that statement. What it really implies is that only that is not that only a few are called. What it really implies is Jesus said, few are chosen, because the next verse supplies the ellipsis where we read in verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in His presence. We do not see many among the very powerful and rich men of the earth, we do not see very many who are chosen, men like, for example, George Soros or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, they're not among the chosen of God. Now, why is that? It's not because they could not have been chosen if they had humbled themselves before God. The problem is that the more powerful, the more wealthy, the more self-sufficient men are, the less likely they are to see the need for God. And there are a number of examples of this in the Bible, a number of illustrations. Among them we read of the Laodiceans in Revelation 3 and verse 17. Revelation 3 and verse 17, Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. Some might ask, didn't Jesus say that no one could come to him unless he was drawn by the Father? We read in John 6, verse 44, John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, many have misunderstood this scripture. This scripture has been misused by some to escape accountability, to shift the blame to God for the condition mankind finds himself in. Yet, in this verse, there is nothing said about how many or how few are drawn. It says nothing about how they are drawn, and it tells us nothing about what it means to be drawn. The very next verse, however, gives us a clue as to how many are drawn. Because in the next verse, in verse 45, it, it says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. They shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Notice it says, all shall be taught by God in the context of being drawn. And God seeks to draw all men to himself. And all those who are willing to be taught will come to Christ. Now, if they're not willing to be taught, if, if they are unwilling to be drawn, they're not going to come to Christ. But those who hear and learn from the Father will come to Christ. God said to Israel in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. With, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God said to Israel, the entire nation. The entire nation was drawn by God with loving kindness. God said of Israel through the prophet Hosea. Hosea 11 and verse 4. Hosea 11 and verse 4. I drew them, speaking of Israel, with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to repent. God drew them, the entire nation, but most of them refused to repent, despite the fact God drew them, despite the fact that he called them. Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 37, Matthew 23 and verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God wanted to gather the people under his wings, but they were not willing. And it's not just the Israelites that God seeks to draw to himself. Jesus said in John 12, verse 32, John 12, verse 32, and, if, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Once he was sacrificed, once he had died physically as a human being and then been resurrected, Jesus himself may draw men to himself and does draw men to himself. And he said, I will draw all people, all peoples, not just the Israelites, not just a few people, but all peoples to myself. It is because of man's own stubborn insolence and rebellion that God's loving kindness is often not sufficient to draw men to himself. If human beings weren't so rebellious, and unwilling to respond to God, then that's all it would take, God's mercy, His loving kindness, to draw men to Himself. Paul wrote in Acts 17, verse 30, Acts 17, verse 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now commands all men everywhere to repent. Notice he doesn't command just a few men here and there to repent. 
He commands all men everywhere to repent now because He has appointed a day on which He shall judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. So we are commanded by God to repent now, not just we, but everyone. Because we're accountable to God, we're being judged by God. So the flimsy excuse that someone may use for rebelling against God, alleging that he was not called, and I've known of such people, doesn't hold water. In fact, if anyone knows enough even to think up such an excuse, it shows that he knows enough to be held fully accountable for his choices. We have an article that discusses this in more detail called Are Many or Few Called in This Age? on our website if you want to consult that at cogmessenger.org. God gives us many chances to repent, just as he did ancient Israel. But sooner or later, if we continue to refuse to hear his word and obey it, then God will, at some point, deal with us in a more severe manner to bring us to the point of repentance. Daniel prayed as he and his people were in captivity to the Babylonians. We heard about the Assyrians uh, encompassing Jerusalem, and they were... God intervened for Judah at that time and destroyed the Assyrian army. Later on, though, he allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed by the Babylonians and the people to be carried into captivity. And Daniel was in captivity with the people there in Babylon, and he said in a prayer to God, Daniel 9, verse 11, Daniel 9, verse 11, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us, and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done, as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. They had not turned from their iniquities so that they could understand the truth. When you turn from your iniquities, when you repent, then that's when you can begin understanding the truth. At least more deeply. Nehemiah was in Judah with the Jews who had come back out of captivity later on. And he prayed to God concerning Israel. As we read in Nehemiah 9, beginning with verse 13. Nehemiah 9, verse 13 you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. 
You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give to them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Nehemiah goes on to rehearse how God continued to work with, to instruct, and to bless Israel despite their rebellion. Then in verse 26 of Nehemiah 9, we go on to read verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times, many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Notice what the objective here was in how God dealt with Israel and how merciful he was. How many opportunities he gave them to change and to repent as a people and a nation. It was so that they might be brought back to his law, so that they might be brought into a right relationship with God through repentance. But it goes on to say, as we read in verse 29, yet they acted proudly and did not Heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. So Nehemiah led the people of Judah who had returned to the land of Israel to reaffirm at that time the covenant that God had made with them. And they also pledged to keep themselves separate from the nations as a people holy to God. Now, if we choose to obey God, if we choose to obey God, we will be rewarded according to our choice. And if we choose to disobey God, 
we choose to disobey God, we will be rewarded accordingly. As we read in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you. It is not far off. We might interject here how difficult is it to understand the concept you're not supposed to lie. You're not supposed to steal or murder people or commit adultery. How difficult is it to understand you're supposed to obey your parents and honor them or you're to keep the Sabbath designated the seventh day of the week. You're not to worship dumb idols. How complicated is that? It's not something mysterious. It's not something you've got to have a degree in rocket science to understand. <laughs> it's not far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. That you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today that to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. So that's what God said would be, would be the consequence, the result of simply loving Him and obeying His commandments. He went on to say, though, in verse 17, if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. End of quote. So we're presented with a very stark and simple choice here. Obey and be blessed, or disobey and be cursed. In Romans 2 and verse 4, Romans 2 and verse 4, Paul writes, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness. You might, you might uh, think about how God draws us with loving kindness, with mercy. God's goodness leads us to repentance. But we can either respect that or we can despise it. And most people despise it. 
It says, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart or unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each according to his deeds. So this tells us we're accountable for our deeds. We're going to be judged according to our deeds and we're, we're going to reap what we sow. In verse 7 it says, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So, we're accountable to God and we're going to be rewarded according to our deeds, whether good or evil. Even so, God is always merciful. God has not meted out to us the full measure of punishment which our sins deserve. As we read in Psalm 103 and verse 10, Psalm 103 and verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to to our iniquities. If he had, none of us would be here today. We wouldn't be anywhere. <laughs> God has not dealt with us according to our sins. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. In Psalm 130, Psalm 130 in verse 2, we read, Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. If we show willingness to respond to God, to seek God, to repent, to strive to please and obey God, God's more than ready to forgive us. And ultimately, despite all of the wickedness of Israel that the people have wrought over the ages, God intends to redeem Israel from her iniquities. And the same could be said for the rest of mankind. God intends to redeem all who can possibly be brought to repentance. And he has not exhausted his resources by any means. In Psalm 130 and verse 7, Psalm 130 and verse 7, it says, O Israel, 
Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Yes, God will redeem Israel, the vast majority of the people of Israel, the vast majority of mankind will eventually find salvation. But of all people on earth, we here in this room today have the least excuse of all. We have full access to God's Word. We have God's Holy Spirit available to us to help us in understanding God's will as we seek the truth and repent. As we read in Proverbs 1 and verse 23, Proverbs 1 and verse 23, Turn at my rebuke, in other words, repent. And it says, Surely I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. As we repent, we come to a deeper understanding of God's Word. And the more fully we repent, the more fully we understand. We have all the tools and the help necessary to both understand God's Word and obey it. And we are accountable for what we have been given. We have the opportunity to be in the first resurrection, which is called the better resurrection in Hebrews 11 and verse 35. We have the opportunity to be in the first resurrection. Now, it may be difficult at times. It may and indeed will require effort and sacrifice. But we must keep in mind that we will give account to God for what we do with His gifts. So, let's resolve to put God first in our lives. Let's strive to put away our fears, our lusts, our worldly affections, our tendency to put pleasing men ahead of pleasing God. And let's rely on the Almighty to lead us into the rewards of His kingdom. Let's remember always that God is our judge. It is to Him that we will give account. So we must determine to please Him always.